Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to Far-Fetched Fables, part of the District of Wonders Network, featuring Starship Sofa, Tales to Terrify, Crime City Central, and Protecting Project Pulp. Everyone has a story in the District of Wonders. Come and find yours. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Wherever you are, wherever you're listening from, this is Far-Fetched Fables. Welcome to show number 56. I'm your host, Nicholas Eaton-Clark, and this week we have two captivating stories for you. First on the slate today is a delightful little conundrum of a story called The Frog King, or Iron Henry, and it's written by Daniel Quinn. For those of you who are as incredibly grammar geeky as I am, you will no doubt notice that this story is, in actual fact, a palindrome. That's right, the whole freaking thing is a palindrome. It's amazing. I listened to it twice just so I could geek out over the centre point. Sad, I know, but that's what it means to be a grammar geek. Daniel Quinn is best known as the author of the novel Ishmael published in more than 25 languages and winner of the 1991 Turner Tomorrow Award, the largest prize ever given a single literary work, established to encourage authors to seek creative and positive solutions to global problems. He and his wife, painter Rennie McKay Quinn, have lived in Chicago, Madrid, New Mexico, and Austin, Texas, and currently reside in Houston. The Frog King was published in 1994 in the collection Blackthorn White Rose. You can find out more by following the link on the triple F. Our narrator for this little beauty is the man with that fantastically lugubrious voice, James Silverstein. James is a budding author and role-playing game designer, with credits from the Seventh Sea and Stargate RPG lines. He's working on the upcoming Cairn RPG, as well as a series of stories about a 1940s private eye in a city of the undead. James feels that there are always more amazing stories that need to be told, and he writes, narrates, and runs games to share them with the world. He loves speculative fiction, noir detective tales, and pulp fantasy, and is honoured to be a returning reader in the District of Wonders. So, here it is, fellow geekers. The Frog King, or Iron Henry, by Daniel Quinn. 
what is to be remembered, I suppose, I remember. Everything else dissolves and vanishes, breath on an icy mirror. I am alone now. There is no one. A rectangle of moonlight blazes on the floor like a shield. This is all that's left of my visitor. Nevertheless, without any real feeling of hope, I call out into the darkness. Iron Henry? His departure is something I feel in my blood, now dry as dust in my veins. Beside the window a shadow stirs in the darkness, and it is he slipping away into the night. Iron Henry, I whisper, knowing that, for all he loves me, he will not stop, for my sake. Please. He hesitates and mutters, I may not. Speak to me more. It will soon be dawn, he says, and the queen will be sighing in her bed. That hardly matters, Iron Henry. What little I haven't actually forgotten has become meaningless to me. His face in the moonlight is dreadfully furrowed and scarred. It looks like a battlefield that has been preserved as a reminder of the cruelty of war. You have forgotten nothing, Iron Henry says. I've forgotten every word, I swear it. I'll not tell it again. That's final. It's like an enchantment, Iron Henry. Another enchantment, hidden beneath the first. I, I can't find the end to it. The story is held in your soul, he tells me, and the soul has no need to remember. He nods as if egging me on and I seem to see a summery gleam of yellow in his eyes. Until now they have been as cold and black as the ice of a glacier. The golden ball, I whisper. You see, you haven't forgotten. I am astonished by my own powers of recollection. The golden ball! He laughs harshly, then stretches out his hands in a trembling, pathetic gesture as if imploring me to give him something. It's a long moment before I understand what he's trying to show me. There was... a little girl? A princess, my lord. Start there. Please, I groan. You know the story. I can't hold it in my head, Iron Henry. I don't know why. Tell it to me once more, just once more, please. Iron Henry sighs and says, You must somehow learn to tell the story to yourself, my boy. My God, I swear it's gone, utterly gone. Come, come, he says gently. It has only been a moment since you yourself recounted what the princess did for you what the princess did for me? Think, my boy, think of what the princess did for you. Help me, Iron Henry, the princess, my boy. Someone was with me, Iron Henry, that's all I remember. A young girl. I... I wasn't alone. Is that it? Yes, yes, go on, my boy, go on. Wait, I... Remember something else now. I was lying on the floor. And then? 
Yes. Yes, I remember this clearly. I was lying crushed at the foot of a wall. Crushed? I'd been flung. Crushed. My God, Iron Henry, I remember it now. It was I. It was I myself that was flung. Think now, carefully, and remember what was actually flung against the wall. What? What thing, what object was flung against the wall? Against the wall? That's right. The princess flung something against the wall. Wait, the princess was angry? The princess was angry and... What? Come, come, my boy. This is the whole point of the story. I swear I haven't the slightest idea what you're getting at, Iron Henry. You never remember this part. His voice grates with bitter exasperation. You never remember being a frog. Frog? What on earth are you talking about? A miserable, stinking, odious little frog, my boy. That is what you were until she finally refused to put up with it any longer. You wanted to be her pathetic and helpless little pet, hopelessly unworthy of her. A creature far, far beneath her. A creature that she was continuously obliged to lift up to her level. To the chair, to the table, to the bed. A creature that was ultimately just too pitiful and paltry to be the companion of a princess. I'm sorry, Iron Henry. I, I swear to God I don't remember it. You wanted to become her pet. You yourself insisted on it. It was what you demanded in exchange for fetching the princess's golden ball from the bottom of the well. Don't you remember? You were asking for a reward. Y yes. I vaguely remember. Asking for something. Yes. Anything else? Dark. I remember that. The water was like ice. Y yes, it comes back to me now. You're not far off, my boy. It was a well. A deep, deep well. In the end, I have only a very hazy recollection of it. A shaft of emptiness. Yet not empty. Full. I understand. It's very shadowy, I'm afraid. Go on. What more can I say? It's an emptiness, yet I have an impression of something full. Something full. Something else. Wait. I close my eyes for a moment. That's right. That's it. Something near the castle. Very well. Something else. Something nearby? No, that's not it. It's something else entirely. Perhaps this is what you're groping for, my boy. When she became your queen and left her home for yours, 
the princess left behind all her playthings, including the golden ball, an object notably full and empty at the same time. Good Lord, Iron Henry, you've lost me completely. Didn't you ever wonder what happened to this precious object, this object you went to so much trouble to retrieve? No, I'm afraid I didn't. With difficulty, he suppresses yet another impatient sigh and says, Well, try this. It was the golden ball that started the whole thing. You must have noticed that. For Christ's sake, Iron Henry, give me something simple and concrete to hold on to. Believe me, my boy, I've given you all there is. There's still something missing, Iron Henry. Something I can't put my finger on. What is it, for the love of God? What is it? It's nothing important, my boy. What is it, Iron Henry? Tell me. Only a sound. A sound? Wait. Wait, yes. Yes, I can no longer exactly hear it, but I remember it now. I remember it clearly. Terrible sound. The cracking of iron bands around my heart. The bands that kept it from breaking during the long years of your enchantment. It was the end of my grief, my lord. That's it! I cry, clapping my hands to my ears in astonished recollection. It was after the wedding, and we were riding in the coach. Was it after the wedding? Yes, I suppose so, but for Christ's sake, what exactly were we doing? You remember, my lord. We were returning to the castle. I had brought the coach to carry you and your bride home. It's all there. You remember it, my lord. Don't upset yourself. Some terrible sound. An end to enchantment. An end. And a new beginning, for the love of God, help me, Iron Henry, it's slipping away again, an end to enchantment, some terrible sound. You remember it, my lord. Don't upset yourself, it's all there. I'd brought the coach to carry you and your bride home. You remember, my lord, we were returning to the castle. Yes, I... Suppose so, but for Christ's sake, what exactly were we doing? Was it after the wedding? It was after the wedding, and we were riding in the coach. That's it, I cry, clapping my hands to my ears in astonished recollection. It was the end of grief, my lord, the cracking of iron bands around my heart, the bands that kept it from breaking during the long years of your enchantment. Yes. Yes, I can no longer exactly hear it, but I remember it now. I remember it clearly, a terrible sound. Wait, wait, a sound. Only a sound. What is it, Iron Henry? Tell me. It's nothing so important, my boy. What is it, for the love of God? What is it? There's still something missing, Iron Henry, something I can't put my finger on. Believe me, my boy, 
I have given you all there is. For Christ's sake, Iron Henry, give me something simple and concrete to hold on to. With difficulty he suppresses yet another impatient sigh and says, Well, try this. It was the golden ball that started the whole thing. You must have noticed that. No, I'm afraid I didn't. Didn't you ever wonder what happened to this precious object? This object you went to so much trouble to retrieve? Good Lord, Iron Henry, you've lost me entirely. Perhaps this is what you're groping for, my boy. When she became your queen and left her home for yours, the princess left behind all her playthings, including the golden ball, an object notably full and empty at the same time. No, that's not it. It's something else entirely. Very well. Something else. Something nearby? That's right. That's it. Something near the castle. I close my eyes for a moment. Wait, something full. Something else. It's an emptiness. Yet I have an impression of something full. What, what more can I say? Go on. It's very shadowy, I'm afraid. I understand. A shaft of emptiness, yet not empty, full. In the end, I have only a very hazy recollection of it. You're not far off, my boy. It was a well, a deep, deep well. Yes, it comes back to me now. The water was like ice. I remember that. Dark. Yes. Anything else? Yes, I vaguely remember asking for something. You were asking for a reward. Don't you remember? It was what you demanded in exchange for fetching the princess's golden ball at the bottom of the well. You yourself insisted on it. You wanted to become her pet. I swear to God, I don't remember it. I'm sorry, Iron Henry. You wanted to become her pathetic and helpless little pet, hopelessly unworthy of her, a creature far, far beneath her, a creature that she was continuously obliged to lift up to her level, to the chair, to the table, to the bed a creature that was ultimately just too pitiful and paltry to be the companion of a princess. That is what you were until she finally refused to put up with it any longer. A miserable, stinking, odious little frog, my boy. What on earth are you talking about? A frog? You never remember being a frog. His voice grates with bitter exasperation. You never remember this part. I swear I haven't the slightest idea what you're getting at, Iron Henry. Come, come, my boy, this is the whole point of the story. The princess was angry, and... What? Wait, 
the princess was angry? That's right. The princess flung something against the wall. Against the wall? What thing, what object was flung against the wall? What? Think now, think carefully, and remember what actually was flung against the wall. My God, Iron Henry, I remember now. It was I. It was I, I myself, that was flung. I'd been crushed. Crushed? Yes, I remember this clearly. I was lying crushed at the foot of a wall. And then? I was lying on the floor. Wait, I remember something else now. Yes, yes, go on, my boy, go on. I wasn't alone. Is that it? A young girl. Someone was with me, Iron Henry. That's all I remember. The princess, my boy. Help me, Iron Henry. Think, my boy. Think of what the princess did for you. What the princess did for me? Come, come, he says gently. It has only been a moment since you yourself recounted what the princess did for you. My God, I swear it's gone, utterly gone. Iron Henry sighs and says, you must somehow learn to tell the story to yourself, my boy. Tell it to me once more, just once more, please. I can't hold it in my head, Iron Henry. I don't know why. You know the story. Please, I groan. A princess, my lord. Start there. There was a little girl. He laughs harshly and then stretches out his hands in a trembling, pathetic gesture, as if imploring me to give him something. It's a long moment before I understand what he's trying to show me. The golden ball! I am astonished by my own powers of recollection. You haven't forgotten, you see? The golden ball, I whisper. He nods as if egging me on and I seem to see a summery gleam of yellow in his eyes. Until now they have been as cold and black as the ice of a glacier. The story is held in your soul, he tells me. And the soul has no need to remember. I can't find the end to it. It's like an enchantment, Iron Henry, another enchantment hidden beneath the first. I'll not tell it again. That's final. I've forgotten every word, I swear it. You have forgotten nothing, Iron Henry says. His face in the moonlight is dreadfully furrowed and scarred. It looks like a battlefield that has been preserved as a reminder of the cruelty of war. That hardly matters, Iron Henry. What little I haven't actually forgotten has become meaningless to me. It will soon be dawn, he says, and the queen will be sighing in her bed. Speak to me more. He hesitates and mutters. I may not. Iron Henry, I whisper, 
knowing that for all he loves me, he will not stop for my sake. Please. Beside the window, a shadow stirs in the darkness, and it is he, slipping away into the night. His departure is something I feel in my blood, now dry as dust in my veins. Nevertheless, without any real feeling of hope, I call out into the darkness. Iron Henry? A rectangle of moonlight blazes on the floor like a shield. This is all that's left of my visitor. There is no one. I am alone now. What is to be remembered, I suppose I remember. Everything else dissolves and vanishes. Breath on an icy mirror. End. Eh? Eh? Isn't it marvellous? Told you it would be. Next up, we have a creepy little tale of guilt and redemption called The Scariest Place in the World by Mark Morris. I honestly had to look twice at my study when I finished listening to it. Mark Morris became a full-time writer in 1988 on the Enterprise Allowance Scheme and a year later saw the release of his first novel, Toady. He has since published a further 16 novels among which are Stitch, The Immaculate, The Secret of Anatomy, Fiddleback, The Deluge, and four books in the popular Doctor Who range. His short stories, novellas, articles, and reviews have appeared in a wide variety of anthologies and magazines, and he is editor of the highly acclaimed Cinema Macabre, a book of 50 horror movie essays by genre luminaries for which he won the 2007 British Fantasy Award. His most recently published or forthcoming work includes a novella entitled It Sustains for Earthling Publications, a Torchwood novel entitled Bay of the Dead, several Doctor Who audios for Big Finish Productions, a follow-up volume to Cinema Macabre entitled Cinema Futura, and a new short story collection, Long Shadows, Nightmare Light. The narrator of this tale is Catherine Inskip, the inimitable Ms. Inskip weighs galaxies for a living, and builds worlds in her spare time. She is addicted to chocolate and Japanese logic puzzles. Brace yourself, everyone, for The Scariest Place in the World by Mark Morris. Holly resented daytime callers. Most of them weren't to know that she worked at home, but even so, her first response when someone rang the bell or banged on the door was to grit her teeth and ball her hands into fists, as if in imitation of the tight knot of resentment she felt clenching in her belly. It had been several weeks after moving in before the old lady who lived next door had got the message. The first time she turned up, she'd been clutching a dented biscuit tin containing one of those old-fashioned sponge cakes, the ones with jam and cream in the middle and a light dusting of icing sugar on top. Hello, dear, she'd said, her thin shoulders hunched like vestigial wings within her pale green cardigan and her grey hair drifting like a wind-stirred mass of cobwebs. I'm Mrs. Bartholomew. I'm your new neighbour. 
Or rather, I suppose you're mine, as I've been here for donkey's years. I just thought I'd pop round to see how you're settling in. Holly had kept the door half-closed, and positioned herself firmly behind it, as if wary the old lady might try to force her way inside. When Mrs. Bartholomew smiled, her face crumpled like a brown paper bag, and her beige-yellow teeth sprang forward, reminding Holly of a row of clothes pegs on a washing line. We're fine, thanks, Holly had replied, responding to her neighbour's grin with a half-hearted grimace. We're a bit busy now, lots to do. She'd begun to push the door shut. Quickly, the old woman said, Just the two of you are there? Holly had hesitated, then nodded. Yes, me and my husband, Mike. No children? No. Ah. The old woman looked thoughtful. Well, it'll be a lovely house to bring up little ones, when the time comes. Yes. Holly inched the door further closed. Well, thanks for coming round, but we really are busy. Oh, I brought you this. Mrs Bartholomew raised the biscuit tin as though making an offering to an arcane god. A little housewarming present. Homemade? Holly had thought of the old woman's bird's claw, liver-spotted hands buried in cake mix, perhaps even scraping it from under her yellowing fingernails, and her stomach turned over. Mustering a smile, she'd said, That's very kind of you, but Mike and I don't really eat cake. Oh. Mrs Bartholomew looked crestfallen. Sorry, said Holly. Well, goodbye. She'd pushed the door shut, and then tensed, as from the other side she'd heard the old woman call, Goodbye for now, dear. Perhaps I'll pop round again when you're less busy. She had popped round again. In fact, she had popped round on at least half a dozen occasions over the next few weeks, though Holly had never allowed her over the threshold. In the end, Holly had had to tell her that she worked from home, that her time was precious, that she had deadlines to meet, that she couldn't afford to just break off whenever she felt like it. Her voice, when she'd said this, had been a little snappier than she'd intended, and she'd felt bad about it afterwards thinking that the old woman was probably just lonely and wanted a bit of company. But still, her neighbour had to respect the fact that Holly needed to make a living. She had to understand that just because Holly was at home all day, it didn't mean that her time was her own to squander on coffee and local gossip. And when Holly did get time to herself in the evenings, she wanted to spend it with Mike, which was natural, wasn't it? They had things to do on the house, after all, plans to discuss. She soothed her conscience by promising herself that at some point, when things had settled down and they were more on top of the situation, she would call on Mrs Bartholomew and say hello properly. She would. But just now she was too busy, too preoccupied. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. And besides, if the old lady had lived on the street for donkey's years, then surely she had other friends to call on? It wasn't as if Holly and Mike ought to feel responsible for her in any way. Which was why, when the knock came on the front door one Tuesday morning, just as Holly was dropping a chamomile tea bag into the flip-top bin in the kitchen and trying to structure the next sentence of her latest article in her head, she felt that familiar knot in her belly tightening once more. Who was this now? Surely not Mrs Bartholomew again? Perhaps it was one of those ex-prisoners selling shoddy and overpriced household wares from a leather hold all, the ones who always made her feel nervous, or just someone delivering a parcel. Mike was always ordering himself the latest gadgets online. She told him to have them delivered to his work address so that she wouldn't be disturbed during the day, but sometimes he forgot. Pushing open the kitchen door, steaming mug held before her like a weapon, she looked to her right, moving her head slowly a little fearful of making a sudden move and drawing attention to herself. She didn't think whoever was standing outside would be able to see her, but you never knew. After all, she could see the caller through the stippled glass panel of the front door, or at least she could see a vague dark shape with a pinkish blob on top. She hovered a moment, willing the caller to go away. If it was someone with a parcel, he'd put an attempted delivery slip through the letterbox, whereupon she could rush up to the door and open it before he'd reached the end of the drive, claim she'd been preoccupied with some household chore and hadn't been able to get to the door in time. But the caller didn't put a note through the door. Instead, he knocked again. Three quick taps. Timid, but insistent. If she'd been upstairs, sitting at her desk, she might have ignored it, but she was damned if she was going to stand in her hallway all day, feeling trapped. With a grunt of exasperation, she marched up to the front door and opened it. Standing outside was a thin young man in a dark jacket, jeans and a white T-shirt, with some sort of fuzzy black-lettered slogan on it that Holly could neither read nor identify. He looked like a student. Bony wrists, thick mop of fashionably tousled hair, insipid expression. Yes, she said sharply. Hi, he said with a vague smile. Holly didn't smile back. Can I help you? Er, uh, the young man looked ill at ease. He wafted a hand vaguely. This is a bit weird, but I used to live here. 
a long time ago. I was in the area, so I thought... Well, it was just a whim, really. I just got an urge to see the old place. The house where I grew up. He grimaced. I haven't been back in, I don't know, nearly twenty years. My name's Rob, by the way. Rob Norton. He nodded at the side wall of the house next door. Is Mrs Bartholomew still there? Yes, Holly said. Rob Norton smiled. That's good. It's nice to know that some things never change. Holly narrowed her eyes. When did you say you lived here? I didn't. The seventies. I was born in seventy-eight. We lived here till I was eighteen. Nodding at the expression on Holly's face, he said, I know what you're thinking. I get it a lot. But I'm older than I look. He gestured vaguely at the house. Any chance I could have a quick look round? I don't think so, said Holly quickly. I'm very busy. I've got a deadline to meet. I'm a journalist. He pressed the palms of his hands together, as if in prayer. Please, just five minutes. Two, even. It's been such a long time since I've been back, and I don't know when I'll be in the area again. How do I know you're who you say you are? Holly asked. Rob Norton flourished a hand almost triumphantly at the house next door, like a stage compare introducing a popular act. You can ask Mrs B. She'll vouch for me. She knew me from when I was a baby. Holly pictured it all in an instant, saw immediately how protracted and awkward the situation would become. They would knock on Mrs Bartholomew's door, and the old lady would answer it, and when she clapped eyes on her old neighbour, her face would light up with incredulity and delight. No doubt there'd be a joyous reunion, a babble of questions. Mrs Bartholomew would invite them in for a cup of tea, and Holly would have to play the killjoy, the party pooper, would, as usual, have to plead the pressure of work and deadlines. So she'd come home, and Rob would probably stay at Mrs Bartholomew's for a bit, and even though Holly wasn't with them, she'd be unable to settle to her work, because she'd be on edge, waiting for Rob to come back, knowing not only that at some point she'd be disturbed by him again, but also that next door they'd probably be talking about her. Mrs B telling Rob how unfriendly she was, how unneighbourly, how she wished things were back to how they used to be when he and his family lived next door. Holly didn't think she could stand all that. The time wasted, the disruption to her schedule, the uncomfortable knowledge that she'd be painted as the villain of the piece. And so she heard herself saying, Oh, it's OK, there's no need for that. You can have a look round. But it will have to be quick. I do have a deadline. Of course, Rob said, nodding. Thanks so much. I really appreciate it. Holly stepped back tugging the door open reluctantly so that he could enter. He came in, looking around eagerly, peering up the hallway towards the kitchen, his dark eyes gleaming, the light slithering across them. Holly took another step back as he closed the door behind him, trapping the shadows and the silence in with them. Outside he'd seemed harmless, skinny, almost frail, but here... Inside, right next to her, he seemed taller, rangier, lithe rather than skinny, possessed perhaps of a deceptive strength, a tensile vigour. What am I doing? she thought. If Mike knew, he'd be furious.
She wondered if she'd tell him. She knew what he'd say, could almost hear him saying it. How could you have been so gullible? Anything might have happened. You read about these things, don't you, she thought. Strangers wheedling their way into people's homes. And you think, serves them right for being so stupid. But it's different when it's you. After all, you're not a newspaper headline. Other people are. You're too smart, too careful. Where do you want to start? she asked. Her voice was a little abrasive. Too abrasive? She didn't want to antagonise him. Better to be businesslike, though, rather than demure, defensive. The worst thing would be to appear vulnerable, to show any nervousness, any fear. This was all wood-panelled when I was a kid, he said, his eyes sparkling. Well, not wood-panelled. You know that cheap stuff? Thin. It came in sheets and you just stuck it on the wall. He gave a sudden laugh, little more than a hitch of breath. Pretty tacky, I suppose, but people thought it was sophisticated back then. He sidled past her, away from her towards the door on the left that led into the front room. Is it okay if I... She nodded and he opened the door, pausing before he did so and taking a deep breath as he turned the handle. Relishing the moment, or perhaps bracing himself for what he might see. She guessed that the room must have changed a lot since he had lived here, been redecorated and refurnished several times over. Perhaps even rewired, the light fittings repositioned, the windows replaced. Yet he stood there looking around with a kind of wonder. She saw that he was trembling slightly. Are you all right? she asked to break the silence. His eyelids fluttered, as if he was about to pass out. He turned his head so slowly towards her, she almost expected to hear the bones creak in his neck. He licked his lips. I can't tell you how strange this is, he said. It's like somewhere I've seen in a recurring dream, or like I've been asleep for a long time and I've just woken up. He shook his head suddenly. Sorry, you must think I'm a total weirdo. It's just... it's hard to explain. Everything is so familiar, intensely familiar, and yet at the same time it's different, like a new reality has been laid over the top. Does any of this make sense? Holly was a forward-looking person. She was not nostalgic. She had never had any desire to revisit the past, to explore old haunts. Last year she had been invited to a school reunion, but she had declined. The very idea of it made her shudder. Yet she found herself nodding now, to humour him. It must be very odd coming back, she said. It is. He swayed a little on his feet. Sorry, could I have some water? Sure. He wasn't the only one who found the atmosphere stifling. She was glad of the opportunity to step away from it for a moment. Sit down, I'll get you some. She exited the room, hurried to the kitchen, opened the cupboard above the sink and reached instinctively for a glass. Then she thought better of it and took down a plastic beaker instead. It was becoming heavier in her hand as she filled it with water when a shadow crept across the wall and the cupboard door in front of her. She turned with a gasp, water splashing over her hand. He was standing right behind her. "'What are you doing?' she cried, immediately appalled at how shrill she sounded. 
He backed off, raising a hand. Sorry, I didn't mean to make you jump. His attention seemed suddenly caught by the room, his eyes flickering from wall to wall, floor to ceiling. Strange how small this room seems now, he said. How narrow. She felt oddly insulted. It's plenty big enough for us, she said. He smiled crookedly. I just meant, when I was a kid this seemed, not vast, but bigger, you know? Everything seems bigger when you're a kid, doesn't it? More formidable. He looked out of the narrow window beside the cooker. I used to think that field out there was massive. But it's not, is it? You sound disappointed. Holly was still holding the beaker. Water was dripping from her hand, forming dark coins on the slate-coloured tiles at her feet. Not disappointed, said Rob. Just... He looked thoughtful, even sad. The older you get, the more the world closes in on you, stifles you. Holly didn't agree. She thought the opposite was true. But she didn't argue. She held out the beaker. Do you want your water? Thanks. He took the beaker, but he didn't drink. Is it okay to look upstairs? My old bedroom? Sure, she said, and raised a hand. After you. She hoped her reason for inviting him to go first, because she didn't want to feel trapped with him, because she knew that if he stayed ahead of her, she would always have an escape route, wasn't as evident to him as it seemed to herself. He turned obediently enough, and as he did so, he put the beaker down on the breakfast bar that ran along the left-hand wall of the kitchen. She looked at it, thought about saying something. But why make it an issue? Was it really such a big deal that he hadn't drunk the water he'd asked for? Maybe he changed his mind. People were entitled to do that. Maybe his feeling of faintness had passed. She followed him up the stairs. There remained a good few steps behind him. She didn't want to get close enough that he could thrust out an arm and give her a shove. He moved slowly, deliberately, as if wary of disturbing a sleeping incumbent on the floor above. Two steps from the top he halted and turned. When he spoke, his voice was sombre, hushed. That first door was my bedroom. Is it okay if I... Be my guest. He ascended the last two steps, crossed the landing, pushed the door open. It was her study, so the door was already ajar. Pearly light spilled out of it as he stepped forward, softening his outline. When she entered the room behind him, he had already crossed to the window beside her desk and was looking at the paved yard below. I thought you might have turned it into a garden again, he said. He sounded wistful, disappointed. Again? He turned to her. His eyes were wide and soft. He looked haunted? Was that too strong a word to describe the expression on his face? When we came here it was a garden. Lawn flower beds. Then my parents, well my dad really, began to breed dogs. Alsatians. And he had the lawn ripped out, paved over. I thought, I hoped, it might be green again by now. It was like that when we moved in, Holly said defensively. We haven't been here long. Rob seemed not to hear her. His gaze swept the pokey, square room, 
Little more than a cell, really. This was my room. Yes, you said. His eyes fixed on her. They were dark, almost black, and seemed suddenly flat. You know what a little boy's bedroom is, don't you? She shrugged, discomfited. What? It's the scariest place in the world. A beat. A silence in which meaning thrummed and throbbed like the air beneath an electricity pylon. Is it? She said at last, and to her own ears her voice sounded hollow, on the verge of cracking. He nodded. He dominated us. My dad, I mean. He never touched us, my mum and me, but we were scared of him all the same. He had a way about him. A way of grinding us down. His eyes drifted away from hers, becoming unfocused. She knew he was looking into his past. Some people do. There's a force about them. A sense that, that something terrible could happen at any moment. Do you know what I mean? Holly wasn't sure what to say, yet she felt compelled to say something. In the end, she muttered, You felt threatened. More than that, I was scared, terrified, every minute of every day of my life. His voice had dropped to a whisper. Suddenly he shook himself, like a dog. His head jerked up, and his eyes were bright and black again. Have you seen him? What? Have you seen anything since you moved in? Anything unusual? No. She shook her head angrily. What do you expect me to have seen? He half smiled. I used to see... Even after he died... He died, said Holly. Your dad, you mean? He nodded. His car was hit by a lorry on the motorway. I was eleven. I cried, and Mum cried. But secretly, I was glad. Relieved. I think she was too, but she didn't say so. But then... His eyes drifted. Not to the window, but to the corner of the room beyond the window the one where Holly kept her exercise bike when she wasn't using it. His voice had dropped to a whisper again, and his eyes were full of fear now. Then he came back. I'd see him at night. I'd wake up, and he'd be standing there, a dark shape in the corner, watching me. It was just your imagination, said Holly carefully. You felt guilty and afraid. He looked bewildered. So you haven't seen him? Of course not. He nodded slowly. I couldn't wait to get away. When I did, when I moved out, I thought it would be over, but I'd never see him again. He gave a sort of sob, and his face twisted for a moment, an expression of fearful anguish. But it was no good. He followed me. Wherever I went, wherever I lived... I'd wake in the night and he'd be there, standing in the corner, watching me. He swayed as though about to collapse, standing beside the window, framed by the light. He looked ethereal, 
as though the blaze of his own fear was corroding him, devouring him. Against her better judgment, Holly stepped forward, raising her hands as though to grip his elbows, hold him upright. He's not real, Rob, don't you see? she said. You only think you saw him because he was such a presence in your life, because he frightened you and because you felt guilty for being relieved when he died. But you mustn't let him haunt you any more. He's gone. You're free of him. Rob shook his head. I thought if I came back, I might be able to bring him with me. Leave him here. Lay him to rest. Do that, said Holly decisively. Leave him here. He has no power over me. I don't believe in him. Rob barely seemed to hear her. His eyes were wild, distracted. But it's no good, he said. He'll always be with me. I see that now. No, he won't, said Holly. You just have to. Her words dried in her throat, her body jerking in horror. Rob had produced a black-handled kitchen knife from his pocket and was now holding it uncertainly in front of him. Holly's voice, when she rediscovered it, was eerily calm, far calmer than she felt. Rob, she said, put that away. You don't need it. He won't leave me alone, he said miserably. But that won't solve anything, will it? By, by using that, you'd be letting him win? Though she said it, she had no idea how he intended to use it. On her? On himself? On his non-existent father? She backed towards the door, not deliberately, almost subconsciously. He looked at her, and his face was wretched. I'm sorry he said. Then he rammed the blade of the knife in his own throat and jerked it sideways. It was like puncturing a high-pressure hose. There was a hiss and a fan of blood spurted from him, rising high in the air and coming down with a spatter like falling raindrops. He reeled and tumbled sideways, his legs simply folding beneath him. Blood continued to gush and jet from his neck as his body bucked, staining everything the sand-coloured carpet, the walls, the bookcases, the laptop on the desk, even the ceiling, with streaks and spatters. Holly crammed her fist to her mouth and screamed. She felt a wrench and a wave of dizziness, as though some instinctive, essential part of her was so appalled by what it was witnessing that it was trying to flee, to tear itself from the unresponsive lump of flesh in which it was housed. Barely aware of what she was doing, she turned and stumbled, almost fell down the stairs. The air felt thick and heavy as soup, and yet at the same time vibrant and piercing, as if filled with a thousand screeching alarms. Oh my God, she whispered, barely aware that she was doing it. Oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. She couldn't think straight. Her only thought was to get away, to put as much distance as possible between herself and the terrible thing that had happened upstairs. She felt contaminated, poisoned by it. She rubbed and clawed at her arms, at her clothes, as if she was covered with crawling things that were biting her, trying to burrow under her skin. At the bottom of the stairs, she made instinctively for the light falling in fractured waves through the stippled glass of the front door. Her hand felt large and clumsy as she grasped the door handle, but somehow she managed to twist it, tug it open. She staggered outside, and the light hit her like a slap, causing her to spin around. Or perhaps it was the world that was spinning. 
Next thing she knew, her feet somehow became tangled together, and suddenly she was on the ground. She lay there, sobbing. When hands began to tug at her, she screamed. But the voice that accompanied them was soft, soothing. Now, now, dear, it's all right. You're perfectly safe. Ollie looked up. Mrs. Bartholomew was crouching beside her, the sun turning her feathery grey hair into a halo of white fire. You've got to need, need an ambulance, Holly spluttered. An ambulance? Mrs. Bartholomew looked her over quickly. Are you hurt? What happened? Not me, him, Holly wailed. Who, dear? asked Mrs. Bartholomew. Holly's thoughts were racing, hurtling through her head at such a speed she could barely communicate. Forcing herself to think, to concentrate, she said, You know him. His name's Rob Norton. He used, he used to live here. A strange look came over Mrs. Bartholomew's face. Rob, she said. So he's come back, has he? Yes, but he's, he's hurt. Maybe dead. He had a knife and he... Unable to say the words, she mimed stabbing herself in the throat. Slowly, Mrs. Bartholomew rose to her feet, wincing as her knees cracked. She took hold of Holly's hand, and with a tug she encouraged her to stand. Come with me, dear. Where? I want to show you something. Holly stood shakily, but resisted when Mrs. Bartholomew started to pull her back towards the open front door that Holly had just tumbled out of. No, she said. I can't. He's in there. I don't want to see. It's quite all right, Mrs. Bartholomew said. Come on, dear. Such was the gentle authority in her voice that Holly allowed herself to be led. Inside, though, when Mrs. Bartholomew tried to persuade her to go upstairs, she shrank back again. No, I can't, she said again. All right, dear, Mrs. Bartholomew said gently. All right, I'll go. You wait here. She went upstairs. Holly waited, slumped against the wall. The one that Rob had told her used to be covered in sheets of chipboard made to look like real wood, panting as though she had just run a five-miler. Eventually, Mrs. Bartholomew appeared at the top of the stairs. Come up, dear, she said. Holly shook her head. No! There's nothing to see, Mrs. Bartholomew said. Trust me. Such was the conviction in her tone, combined with a note of reassurance, that Holly sidled across to the foot of the stairs and crept up them, like a timid child ready to bolt at the slightest sign of threat. When she reached the top, Mrs. Bartholomew took her hand. It's all right, she said gently. The door to the room in which Rob Norton had cut his own throat was ajar. Holly flinched and almost cried out as Mrs. Bartholomew stepped towards it, holding her at arm's length, and pushed it open. The door swung back. The room was empty. Holly stared. There was no blood, no body. Everything was as it should be. She felt her mind flex. That was honestly how it felt. I'm going mad, she whispered. Mrs. Bartholomew shook her head. No, dear, you're not. But he was there. I saw him. I spoke to him. 
I'm sure you did, but he died a long time ago. 1997, to be exact. He never got over his father's death, and he came back and killed himself in his childhood bedroom. I expect it was the only place where he felt safe. No. Holly shook her head. He didn't feel safe here. He said it was the scariest place in the world. Mrs. Bartholomew looked sad. He's been back several times. Everyone who's lived here since Kath Norton moved out has seen him. Spoken to him too. Only once, mind, she added hastily. He never visits the same person twice. Holly looked round the room. The pristine laptop, its cursor blinking languidly on the last word she had written. The sand-coloured carpet. The white ceiling. Fresh and newly painted. Her eyes moved past the window to the corner, where her exercise bike stood at an angle. Who will I see at night? she thought. Who will I see standing there? She didn't believe in that sort of thing. She didn't believe in ghosts. But from now on, whenever she came here in the dark, she would see someone. She felt certain of it. She would see a tall, dark shape, standing there, watching her. She knew that she would never be alone again. I hope your childhood memories are happier than poor Rob's. Speaking of memories, why don't you think back over the past year of far-fetched fables and... If there is a particular story that moved you or stuck in your head, please feel free to pop on over to the Parsec Awards website and nominate it. We have already been nominated for a Parsec Award in the Best New Speculative Fiction Podcaster Team category, but individual stories can also be nominated in the Best Speculative Fiction Story Small Cast Short Form category. And of course, our congratulations go out to all the winners of this year's Bram Stoker Awards, some great writers on that list. As always, please remember that Farfetched Fables operates under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 3.0 license, which means you can download the content, share it around all you like, but you cannot change it and you cannot sell it. Be sure to give credit where credit is due. All other copyright remains that of the author's. If you'd like to share your thoughts on this or any of our stories, you can leave your comments on the Triple F website. And finally, to all the geeks out there, remember, Brainy is actually sexy. Bye now. This presentation has been brought to you by the District of Wonders Network, dedicated to podcasting the finest genre fiction. You can learn more about the District of Wonders and their many literary productions at their website, www.districtofwonders.com Thank you for listening. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.